Well, happy Pentecost, brothers and sisters. You, uh, you look great in your red. And someone uh, emailed me earlier this week and said, you know, the only red we have is for the St. Louis Cardinals. Is that okay to wear? And since that is my favorite baseball team, I said every Sunday could be St. Louis Cardinal Sunday. Amen? Amen. Oh, wow, a lot of Cardinals fans. All right, good. Uh, all right, let's, uh, this is Pentecost. And so uh, it is appropriate for us to look this Sunday at the birth of the church. And that comes to us from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. And so I invite and encourage you to listen along or to read along as we hear these words from Luke. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them the ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my Spirit. And they shall prophesy, and I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we come to you on this Pentecost Sunday, and we are reminded of your Spirit. Forgive us for those times, Lord, when we grieve the Spirit, for those times when we lean upon ourselves rather than you. And Lord, we pray that on this Sunday, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. 
Well, as Scott said, this is the last Sunday of our sermon series on Wake from Resurrection to Pentecost. And so I was thinking this week about Resurrection Sunday, especially about Easter Sunday and about what we discussed on that particular day. If you were here, you may recall we talked about the fact that it is a bold and outlandish claim to say that we believe as Christians that someone, Jesus, has been raised from the dead. And that we shouldn't probably try and just brush that off or act like it's not that big of a deal, that it is a a pretty huge claim. And and how strange it is, we we discussed, that we actually invite people to come in on that Sunday. Uh, That really, we should probably not invite them to come on that Sunday. We should invite them to come on a Sunday when we're talking about uh, loving our neighbors or doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's that's much more palatable. There's, there's no reason to scare people off in the very beginning. So I found it somewhat striking that here, some seven weeks later, we are at Pentecost Sunday and we are met yet again with a remarkably strange story. Are we not? I mean, this is kind of a, a fascinating passage, really. And, and like Easter, it kind of starts out kind of more mundane. You, you remember Easter Sunday, how did it begin with women going to anoint the, the body, the dead body of Jesus? Very normal, right? Well, here, of course, and John kind of addressed this last Sunday. John did a great job last Sunday, amen? And, and so, and so, we don't have to clap. I mean, no, I'm just kidding. And so, um, where they were doing what? They were gathering, and they were waiting, and they were praying, and they were listening to a sermon. What does that sound like? Sounds like church. Sounds like pretty normal, typical church. Sounds like something we might have going on here, even right now. And then all of a sudden, a sound like a, like a rushing wind. I get a sense like a sound like a train all of a sudden started pouring through and flames began to, to come down and rest around, all around people. They were like tongues, if you will. And immediately people started speaking other people's languages and, and people who were outside were saying, well, what is that? What's going on? And some thought, well, this is you know, striking. And others said, well, these people must be drunk. And all of a sudden, this kind of very normal, normal, uh, palatable story becomes remarkably strange. And I wonder how many of us have thought about what you might do if you were visiting on a particular Sunday. If you had just happened into the room and you saw people there praying, you would think, okay, this is pretty normal. I think we can handle this. And then all of a sudden, the tongues started flying out. Flames started coming in. There was a a weird wind. What might you do? Would you run? Would you just sit there fascinated? Would you, would you go and tell everyone what weird things you were a part of? What would you do? I've told you all many times now already, I was raised in a Pentecostal church, and one of the things that we always knew, we may not have discussed it, but I always knew, is that you never invited a visitor on Sunday night. Because Sunday night was when things like this started happening, right? The Holy Spirit, I don't know if you know this, is a, is a late riser, so it wasn't there. <laughs> at the Sunday morning service, right? The the preacher might get loud, there might be some excitement, but there's nothing like this. And so you never brought a visitor into something like this because they would freak out. 
And so I started thinking about that and the difference, and, or thinking about Easter and Pentecost, and I thought, well, I guess it shouldn't surprise us that this is kind of a wild story, that this is an, an outlandish story. Because if, as we've discussed, we are called to be witnesses to the resurrected Savior, then surely, if that is a bold claim, then surely the story of the beginning of the church should also be pretty bold, pretty outlandish. It should exemplify the resurrection, should it not? And that perhaps what is strange is not the story. It is how rarely we as churches ever use as a measuring tool How close we reflect Pentecost Sunday. I mean, usually when we think of how we measure, we we think of things like how many people are coming in or, or how many programs we have or how many Bible studies we're doing. And those are all good and right. And they should be a part of how we measure the health of a church. But we should also be asking questions like, how Pentecostal, like Pentecost Sunday, are we? How often are we as a church living in outlandish and illogical ways? How often are we willing to be disrupted by the Holy Spirit? How how often would we prefer to just kind of have everything planned out perfectly and we get a little bit upset if there is a disruption or if there is chaos in any way? Perhaps we should ask as elders and as a church, when's the last time that somebody thought we were drunk because of the way that we as ZPC were acting. I wonder, how often do we think like this? How often do we spend time asking whether or not we are speaking the language of those who are outside of our four walls? How often do we use this as a measuring tool, Pentecost Sunday, rather than just what our numbers might Are we a church that is as energetic and excited, are so energetic and so excited about Jesus that it could only come from the Spirit of God? How are we measuring up to Pentecost Sunday? And so then I started thinking, what what is it? What area? Now, now the reality is, and we got to hear this from our mission workers in Northern Africa, um, um, talking about a healing. And and oftentimes when we think about churches across the globe, they oftentimes, it seems to me, are reflecting in many ways Pentecost Sunday. And so I had to ask myself, what are the churches in America that are reflecting the church at Pentecost? And I think more often than not, those are new churches. New church plants, oftentimes, it seems to me, have the spirit of Pentecost about them. And when we were doing our desserts with the decks, we, uh, we got to hear from several of you, not lots of you, but from several of you who were here some 30 years ago, a little over 30 years ago, when, when ZPC was being planted. And so, you know, I think there's kind of the hallmark, like if you can remember the eagle that was in the middle of the gym at the middle school, right? You remember that? Okay, a couple of you, right? That's what people talked about, but that wasn't all they talked about. They talked about the excitement of that time, the energy of that time. And when you think about new church plants, new church plants are worried about, about kind of, are, 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 are focused on kind of interesting things. They're focused on how, how well are they speaking the language of those outside of them? And why are they asking that question? Because if they don't ask that question, they're not going to 
They're not going to grow. They're not going to survive. And the fact that a a church even tries to plant is quite strange because I think there's a less than 50% survival rate, which means it's not very logical. It's not very practical. And if I stood up here and say, hey, guys, I've got a great new program that we're going to try, the odds of it succeeding are less than 50%. How many of you would say, let's do it? Probably not very many, but when you come and you're a part of a new church plant, that's immediately what you think about. Okay, we know that the odds are slim, but we're going to try it anyways. When you're in a new church plant, you have no idea what the future is. The people at Pentecost, they had no idea what the future was. You have no idea what's in store for you, but there's a part of you that's excited about that because you don't have that much to lose because you've just begun anyways. When you're in a new church plant, there's always a certain amount of chaos, right? I mean, there's chaos because every Sunday you're like having to wheel out all the equipment, right? You got to get the chairs going. You've got all of that, right? You're, you're kind of going back and forth. Um, oftentimes in new church plants, you meet in different places. And so nobody ever knows where you're meeting. Where are we meeting at this time? Are we still meeting in the old place? Everything is temporary, There's always open for disruptions, right? Because you're using equipment, sound equipment that's very temporary, which means that you never know if it's actually going to last. I mean, you never know what's going to happen. I mean, everything is chaotic. Where are we meeting? What room are the kids in this week? There's, There's this constant kind of upheaval. Much, it seems to me, like the chaos and upheaval and the worried about how we speak the language of outsiders that we have on Pentecost Sunday. But then something happens. What do you think it is that happens that begins to change that? Great. Lots of good ideas. Here it is. It's called a brick. And you get a brick, and you get a little mortar, and you put it down, and all of a sudden... The changes or the, the conversation and the questions begin to change. Because what kind of questions do you begin asking? How many bricks? How are we going to preserve this building? You start putting signs up like no food or drink in the sanctuary because we don't want to stain the carpets right? We start asking questions like, why are our water fountains kind of rusty? And why does that one water thing jut out so much? That's the question I asked after having my my eye sprayed, okay? We start asking questions about how do we preserve this? How do we, how do we make sure everything in here is going to be okay, right? We, we, we start asking, we start focusing more on are we, how are we communicating to the people inside these walls? Are we communicating clearly to the people in here? And we spend less time asking how are we communicating to people outside? We, we spend lots of time trying to make sure that the flow of worship is great and that there are no disruptions, We have a cry room. Can everyone wave out there to the cry room? Because heaven forbid that we hear a child disrupting us. We begin to ask lots of different questions. We get nervous when the the future is murky. In a new church plant, the future is always murky. But here we get very nervous because we've spent a lot of our time and energy and money in making sure that it's okay. And you see, we subtly begin to move from a mentality of innovation and disruption and flexibility to one of preservation, settlement, and stability. 
Now, hear me. Don't get nervous. I'm not saying we should sell the building. Though ironically enough, just a few months ago, someone called and said, hey, we heard that you were wanting to sell the building. Don't worry, they weren't asking enough. But when they do, we'll sell. The reality is there are great things about a building. Jesus tells us to love the children. And so every day, Monday through Friday, and then of course on Sundays, but Monday through Friday, we get to love the children of the community through Noah's Ark. And that's a great and wonderful thing. Jesus says we're going to call to feed the hungry. And so every Friday we have a food pantry that meets here. And that's a wonderful thing. When I come over the hill, I can never remember where I am in this place. There we go. As I come over the hill, as I'm coming north on Michigan, I can see the building from afar. And I realize it's like a lighthouse, a city on a hill, if you will, that this is a lighthouse for Christ. And I think that is wonderful to have a sanctuary for the community. So those things are all good and right and a blessing. So there's no reason to sell. There's no reason to burn. But there is a reason for us to keep asking the question and to realize that our mentality, once you are an established church as ZPC is, is to all of a sudden become very internal and to begin looking within here and asking questions within here and is to begin asking, how can we make sure that we have no disruptions? How can we make sure that everything runs perfectly? One of the fascinating things about the Pentecost story, I don't know if you caught this, is that all of a sudden it seems like in the beginning they're inside and all of a sudden they're outside. All of a sudden, you know, they're inside and and they have these languages, but somehow the people on the outside are hearing it. And before you know it, Peter is addressing not the people inside, but the people who are saying they are drunk. So immediately it's almost like there's no wall. It's a permeable wall. And so one of the things that we have to begin doing and asking about Pentecost Sunday is how is it telling us that we are called not just in here, but to the people who are outside? How are we being open? How are we asking not just questions like how can more come in, but how can we go out? Not just questions about how well run is everything, but how much are we open to the disruptions of the Spirit of God that may change us? How often are we open to the winds of the Spirit? And that is an important question for us at ZPC to always ask. And if we are not intentional about asking that, then we will quite naturally just be concerned about making sure that things in here are going well. And that was never what Pentecost and never what the church was about. Several of you in these aforementioned desserts have asked me what it is that drew us to Zionsville Presbyterian Church. And so I, I gave them answers. I've given them answers. Um, I mean, I'm not just kind of making answers up. These are true answers. I mean, I, I, it was the energy of the PNC. It was the, what I felt like was the robust uh, theology of this church. It was uh, how close the Starbucks was. It was all of these kind of, these, these important and vital reasons. But if I were to go back to one date, I think I might go back to July 20. 6th of this last year. And on July 26th, it was the day before I had my first face-to-face meeting with the PNC. It was my first time to ever be in Zionsville, Indiana. And, and, and it was the, the, the day before that first meeting at the Holiday Inn just up Michigan. And, and I was at one of the PNC members' houses. We were just having a brief conversation. And as we were talking, he said, you know what? In, in two days... 
we are actually worshiping at a place called Shepherd Community. And I'd never heard of Shepherd Community, so he had to describe it for me a little bit. And, he, and so he did, and he said, yeah, we're meeting there, and we're not, we're not even worshiping at 116th and Michigan at our normal place. We're, we're just going to meet there. And I thought, wow. You see, because I know churches, and I know you don't stop having worship without, without a bit of a fight. Because there's lots of great logical reasons to not cancel worship in a building, right? Because all of a sudden, then, well, what about people who can't drive all the way down there? What about the people who, 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 whose GPS only goes here, right? What, what if we have visitors on that particular Sunday? That's not very kind. If, you know, they, maybe they would have been new members if we'd have been there. If we're not there, we can't, they can't become new members. What about giving? Giving is going to go down, which it absolutely will. If you don't meet, giving goes down, right? What about, what about the place that we're going? What if people get lost? Or what if it's a little bit, you know, we're not real comfortable there? What, what about that? What about the reality that there's going to be worship style? It's very different than the worship style that we like. There are lots of great logical reasons that keep churches from ever canceling worship. And so I asked this PNC member, not, not how much grief did you get, or not if you got grief, but how much grief did you get? How much pushback did you get to cancel worship? And he said, you know, actually not, not really very much at all. And when he said that, I said, I will take the job. And he said, we haven't even offered it to you. <laughs> now, I made that part up. But when he said that, I knew that this was a church where the spirit of Pentecost is still alive, a church that is open to the disruption of the spirit, a church that says we are willing to do something even if it isn't logical, even if it doesn't make sense. We are willing to be uncomfortable. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't expect that everyone was super happy about it. And my guess is that there is probably a few elders who might have heard something about it, but you didn't allow it to stop you from doing something different, from being open to the spirit of God, from saying, let's go someplace else and see how the Spirit of God is working on the Near East Side. And for me, at least, I said, that is the kind of church that I want to be a part of. Not a church that just simply has great worship in here, but a church that says we are willing to go someplace else and worship the Spirit of God because we believe that the Spirit of God is not just alive at 116th in Michigan, but is alive throughout all of this city, throughout all of this country, and throughout all of America. Amen? And so I was remarkably excited about that. But I want you to know that's not enough. And that one of the things that we have to continually do is be intentional about putting these kind of interruptions and disruptions into the normal life of the church so that we can be open to wherever it is that God is calling us. And that means that while we love the building, we do not idolize the building. When I, was, uh, when I was pastoring in Chicago, we were opening our doors up to these apartments next door, and there were lots of kids coming in, kids who had never been to church before. And the thing about that is they've never been taught proper church etiquette. And so if you can imagine, they were coming in to the church sanctuary with Kool-Aid in their cups. And so I had to stand up one Sunday after enough of a concern about this, that they were being scolded for this. And I had to say, I hope that kids come in here with Kool-Aid and I want you to know, I hope they spill it. Now I was gone the next Sunday, but that's, you know, <laughs> it's the kind of courage I have. 
But we have to do things that are intentionally reminding us that why we have this building is for the greater kingdom of God. We have to leave space for disruptions of the Spirit in our own personal lives and in the life of this church to not be so scheduled that we can never listen to the winds of the Spirit. We have to make sure that we aren't so concerned with making sure that we are being clear in here, that we forget the importance of making sure that we are being clear to those outside of our four walls. And we have to do things that are so ridiculous and so illogical and so impractical at times that people think we have been drinking. I am excited to be here these next two Sundays with you in worship, but I am most excited about worshiping with hopefully many of you, if not most of you, in three Sundays when we go down to Shepherd. And I hope and pray that we will be down there with an open and receptive spirit, that we will hear other languages and be excited about that, that we will be uncomfortable and say, thank goodness we're uncomfortable today. We will come with hearts that are receptive to the Pentecost spirit of God that will take us in places we never could have imagined and help shape us into people we never thought that we could be. For the glory of God and for God's glory alone. Amen? Amen.